Would you like to say something to the class before we begin? Hi, everybody. How did you burn? I mean, you know how it is. How did you burn? Fucking rolling whatnot. I'm gonna steal a declaration of independence. I wouldn't make you out to be a burglar, not that outfit. Put the bunny back in the box. Alright, now loosen up. I'll be damned if I didn't get really turned on. Welcome back to subsequent movie podcast, Kajolta Club. We're back at it, episode 13 of this season of the show, and we have just watched 1983's Staying Alive, starring John Travolta, directed by Sylvester Stallone. The sequel to 1977's Saturday Night Fever. And, uh, you know, normally these episodes, they clock in about an hour. This movie is so fucking boring and has so little going on in it, Ryan, that I don't know if we're going to even make it to half that. Um, nothing happens in this fucking movie. <laughs> no, you know, there are words when you describe a film, right? Some films mm-hmm. are, are grand, they're big, they're large, they're engaging, they're fun, they're sappy, romantic, scary. Staying Alive is bizarre, misguided, weird, strange, off-putting, uncanny, unnecessary, I would say, is maybe mm-hmm, number mm-hmm. one on the list. Yeah. I... Uh, you know, I know on our last episode for Honeymoon in Vegas, I talked pretty extensively at the end about how I was tentatively excited to see where Staying Alive would take us, correct? Mm-hmm. As as a movie, as an experience, and now that I've kind of come out on the other side of that, I don't know that my life is any better for it you know i just i just don't feel like i really know how to take this one kind of a lot going on but also nothing going on ever so a real a real mixed bag from our boy travolta here and you know what I think we've got, like, two movies until he has his quote-unquote career revival with Pulp Fiction. I'm not sure my man ever really had a career to begin with, based on what we've seen. Just real, real rough stuff from Johnny T. Pretty consistently (laughs) week to week on this podcast. Like, god damn, my dude. Just, Just real, real bullshit. And... Staying alive is no exception to that rule. My God, Niall, what, what is this movie? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll get the three sentence uh, summary here out of the way real quick. So, some years on from the events of Saturday Night Fever, Ryan, Tony Monero is living in Manhattan pursuing his dream of becoming a dancer on the broadway stage uh one night he 
tags along to his sort of girlfriend's uh, show that she's in where he becomes smitten by like an English lead dancer in the show. Uh, he then proceeds, I guess, to use these two women to further his own career to get a part in a show that they're both in, which he eventually takes the lead in. And he's just kind of a real shithead the entire time, right? Like, he's, he's yeah. still just Tony Monero. It's that Tony Monero we all love to hate here on mm. Kigolta Club. And yeah. I... I feel like there's three major points we need to attack this from, kind of right off the bat. Okay. Point number one who asked for this this is a totally unneeded sequel to a film directed by god knows why sylvester stallone i have no idea how this man got attached to this project i he he's listed as a producer he's also listed as the writer so he is like very nearly reaching like Tommy Wiseau levels of autorship with this one, yeah. right? If he had yeah. made this film like several more years in the future and just played Tony Monero himself, I think that would have been a great movie. But I, I just... So that leads us into kind of point number two, which is the total and sort of conceptually hilarious disrespect this movie has for the source material right oh like, totally yeah i we we on the podcast were no fans of snf correct i i no, think our we general not. consensus was that it was sort of too hateful a film to justify its supposed moral ending correct that the, the, right, exactly. the sort of like indecencies and, and luridness of it and the offenses of it never really went in a direction that added up to anything by the conclusion this movie if you if you said anything for snf it's that at the end of the film uh, allegedly tony monero wises up cleans up his act and says that's not me and moves on with his life correct and sure Staying alive seems to have just said, no, he's just the same character. It's fine. He's still asshole bastard Tony Monero, except with less racial slurs and less homicide and more aerobic aerobics. He does some aerobics in this movie, which he does. Was, he does. Yeah. I think that was kind of a strong start to this film because where SNF is more of you know, the 70s, like the disco, the kind of, you know, Bee Gees and all that. Uh, Staying Alive is what I think I called a robe exploitation at the beginning of this movie, where it has a lot of very goofy, very, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, excessive shots of, like, women's ass as they're doing aerobics and that kind of thing, like just shaking mm -hmm, titties mm -hmm. in the camera. And I was like, okay, great. If this is what this movie is going to be, it's going to be the time of my life. Because I love that shit. I think it's so funny. Like, the fact that there was this, you know, sort of genre, especially in really schlocky films around this time, of, like, aerobics-focused movies, right? Like, you see it in this. At the beginning, you see it in, you know, like, aerobicide and, like, killer workout and that kind of thing. Like, real, real schlock. And so right. I got my hopes up, but... 
that doesn't really go anywhere because we get this whole narrative of Tommy Monero being a Broadway dancer, which I guess was his dream, but that doesn't really have anything to do with the first movie question mark. I no, mean, not at all. I mean, it's just, it's just the fact that like he liked to dance in the first it's, movie. Like it's such a stretch. It is. It's, it's such an absolute stretch. And then of course we get into point three that I think we need to talk about right off the bat that we kind of touched on you know with your summary which is that nothing fucking happens in this movie (laughs) there is no plot for the vast majority of it he he is struggling to make uh you know ends meet he's teaching at this dance studio he's trying to make it on broadway and sort of the whole narrative thrust of the film is this really unconvincing back and forth for him between this woman he is in sort of a a relationship with who is kind of a chorus dancer and this you know high society english woman who is the lead dancer who has this you know fancy apartment she's very moneyed and that kind of thing but the main plot of the film the kind of you know straw that breaks the camel's back here is that much like the first movie, there is just no sympathy engendered for Tony Monero once again, right? Like, he is a complete man-child sort of asshole schlub in this movie, he... and so it just doesn't ever strike my empathy to have any to have any investment in his story and the quote-unquote romantic conflict, right? Like, it just never right. goes anywhere for me. Yeah, I I think, like, the thing about Tony Manero as a character is he is completely, like, a sociopath, right? Like, he does nothing but use people. He never learns a lesson, despite what the end of the first movie might tell you he does. Um, He doesn't care for anybody but himself. He doesn't show any concern or empathy or care or understanding. Like, the... The general, like, plot of this movie basically is just him going back and forth between these two women. Like, this one woman, the chorus dancer, I don't even remember what her name is. I don't know anyone's name in this movie, aside from Tony Monero. Because they do so little to develop these people as characters, like, who is clearly like in love with him and who he just continually blows off time and again to try and get with this, like, lead dancer or whatever, who clearly, like had a one night stand with him and was like okay that's it for that like you know and he's just chasing her and basically stalking her around like this is a fucking like psychological thriller or something (laughs) and it's it's just like he like he is a character is he's a sociopath like that he is just this narcissistic like completely irredeemable human being who just gets everything he wants in the end and it's it it just contributes to this rancid vibe that these two movies have and like it's it's never a good sign when a time check happens in a movie to begin with and it's even worse a sign when that time check has 25 minutes and it feels like you've been watching it for three hours like this is a 95 minute movie this is i think the same length of time as resident evil retribution (laughs) 
and it feels like it is like it may as well be like fucking i don't know like it felt ben like it, it, fe- it felt <laughs> it didn't feel that long but it did feel like a solid two hours like two hour 10 movie to me right like they really stretch the idea of of how much relative time you can experience in a 96 minute film with this one i there's there is just so much happening here i don't think that the vibes on this one are quite as rancid as the one in the first movie right because no one here gets sexually assaulted no one right. is like called slurs no one is is really harassed he's just no kind of a, crimes yeah like it's just... yeah exactly i think you could i don't know why you would want to do this but you could totally watch this without having seen the first one because none none of the thematics of the first film are kept intact here. And I can't believe I'm defending SNF on this podcast, but good God, this is what Staying Alive has brought me down to, right? Like, there is none, there's none of the alleged themes of, like, Tony's, uh, you know, financial insecurity. It touches very little on his sort of like class divide between him and these women that he's using, right? Like, by the end of it, he's kind of like, oh, I want to be a gentleman. There's a gentleman inside me and it's got to get out. And you, you're like, okay, sure. But then by the end of it, he's, you know, back to his old self and there's just no development there whatsoever. There is just kind of a, litany of these moments where you get him being offended that this you know fancy dancer is using him when he's doing the exact same thing right like it is constantly him moaning and complaining and getting all haughty about this double standard that he's inflicted on this women on these women what he is doing like the exact same thing if not worse to them right right exactly this woman like sleeps with him once and you know that's just how it is sometimes my man like you gotta move on you gotta if you can't play the game you know get out of the kitchen not to mix metaphors here but like it's really just kind of like weird and depressing and pathetic that he is just like running around new york city and enforcing himself on these women like going behind their backs going around getting pissed off and one of them is hanging out with frank stallone you know like just getting his 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 fucking blood going about just nothing right and again I, i i suppose we're supposed to sympathize with him but i i do not have the testosterone in my body to kind of feel i guess whatever sylvester stallone is trying to get across by casting stallone as this hot-blooded sweaty like by the end of this almost entirely nude male character it's just so i feel like stallone had some shit to work out with this one right like i feel it kind of feels like that yeah it it almost does it almost feels like this is a very personal film for him where he is saying this is me I am Tony Monero. This is me trying to make it in show business. This is me railing against the people who use and abuse each other. And this is me doing my weird Satan temptation musical about the like sexual promiscuity and show business and that kind of thing. Like it's just all, it's all over the place, but it's just glacial at the same time. Right? Like nothing, nothing here ever feels like it's moving the plot forward. There there's, there's no inertia, unless the movie just like fuck 
Like, God I mean, damn. like, like the plot of the movie doesn't start until an hour in, really, right? Like, honestly, it's it's unbelievable how just bad the pacing of this fucking thing is. Like, I I said it kind of like jokingly to you when we were like in the opening credits, where I was like, I already feel like they're padding because that like <laughs> the opening credits you get the entirety of uh, I forget what the song is called, but it's by Frank Stallone. Frank Stallone all over this movie. The song is played multiple times in entirety, but mm-hmm. it's the entire song, this entire dance routine with freeze frames, and ah. they do it time and time and again, where it's just these shots throughout the movie of. Travolta and somebody else, usually the the girl he's like stringing along, just like dancing in a studio while Frank Stallone's song plays, and it it just happens again and again and again and again, and it's just like you could have cut like you could have cut this thing down to like an hour special. Yeah, right? this is this like, is this is a made for TV hour long movie. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, two points there that I wanted to go over really quick. The opening of this film. I was completely on board. I'll be totally honest. The intro credits for this movie are hilarious. And there's a lot of this movie that is extremely funny. Like, just gut-bustingly, like, cackle-inducing funny. But the problem is it's so few and far between that it just makes the whole experience feel like a chore. I loved the opening sequence where... They are jumping around and it's super shameless. Like there's all these freeze frames. There's like this like <laughs> gay ass like neon sign font for everything. Like just just real stupid bullshit. But it just kind of nosedives from there. And the second one that I wanted to talk about, which was a moment of the film you actually missed. Uh, we we got we got about like I'd say probably. F- 45 minutes into this movie and you were like i'm gonna get up i'm not gonna pause it this fucking sucks and i was like okay and as soon as you left it kicked off this like fully four minute sequence of him and his good girlfriend not the evil girlfriend who manipulates him but the good girlfriend who he manipulates (laughs) yeah who he manipulates yeah where they are like practicing this dance routine the whole thing is in slow motion for probably four to five christian minutes as the song plays in the background it's unbelievable it's unbelievable i just need to i need to cut together like a 15 minute supercut of the good moments in this film so no one has to watch it because there are good moments but it, it just is never enough to justify it yeah, and I mean, I did see like at least half of that sequence because I, I had to get up. I had to get up to take a, a medication, and I came back and was just like, "Oh, it's still going." You were like, "Yeah, it's still fucking going." Because yeah, when I got up, it was just after like Frank Stallone storms out after he's like a dick to Frank Stallone for yeah, walking he calls him his a girlfriend. Fruit, which you always love to hear. Yeah, like uh, Frank Stallone is all over this fucking movie too. Like, I, it is like I I don't know who i mean obviously it was sylvester stallone right but like 
I don't know who allowed Sylvester Stallone to put his fucking little brother, who looks like just a tiny, like, uglier version of him just all <laughs> over this fucking movie. Like, the scenes the scenes where Frank Stallone is, like, playing fucking guitar in the club while his girlfriend, like, sings her heart out and cries while staring at Travolta because he's being a dick or whatever. Like, it's just unbelievable stuff. Like, I... I nobody needs to see this much Frank Stallone, especially not in a fucking ninety-five minute movie. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre. It, it, the only thing that uh, Frank Stallone does in this movie is like stare down Travolta and just look yeah. like I. It's so funny. I'm trying to I'm trying to see where, if anything, that uh, I can get information about why Stallone was involved in this. I mean. I have to assume with him as a producer that he just threw some money at this and was like, okay, we're yeah. making this movie. Uh, love the movies. He, he must have loved the first one, right? Like, he must have been a huge fan of Saturday Night Fever because it makes. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Uh, although the film is widely considered a flop. It did well enough financially that Paramount considered having Sylvester Stallone and John Travolta start together in The Godfather Part 3 as their next project. The story oh would God. have purportedly had Stallone and Travolta as rival mob leaders caught up in a drug trade war. No. <laughs> Can you fucking oh, imagine? My God. Can you imagine? Oh God, that would oh incredible! I'm, uh, yeah, God, I'm surprised that they didn't work together on Gotti, honestly. But like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah, the idea of the two of them and the Godfather together just oh my God, Ryan, I yeah, I I want to go back like in time somehow and retroactively make that a thing that happened because. Mm -hmm. Apparently that was oh before Coppola signed back on to do it, so he wouldn't sure, have, he wouldn't sure. have been involved. So um, apparently Travolta did have some input on this. Um, the I think the other writer, producer, and writer Robert Stigwood, who I think did the first movie, met with Travolta, and Travolta pitched the idea about the dance career on Broadway. Uh, there is originally a version of this where Travolta would have remained in the chorus, but they felt like this was more exciting, blah, 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 blah. I'm just really not finding anything about how Stallone got involved with this. So here's a good bit. Uh, Stallone rewrote the script to closely match Travolta's vision. So how do we feel about the ending of this movie? Because I feel like we can kind of jump straight ahead. Uh, what ends up happening is is the rich uh, fancy dancer lady gets uh, Travolta a role in this cast for this musical called Satan's Alley. Uh, Travolta shows up the lead dancer and gets recast as the lead. And we get some, you know, dancing scenes and all that. And then we get, I think, the last 25 minutes of this movie are exclusively this production of Satan's Alley. Yeah. And it is one of the most unhinged things I think I've ever seen Travolta do on a cinema screen. And that's, that I just, think is a high, a high standard. It is like for 1983, it is 
excessively horny. Yes. Like, it is unbelievably horny. There's a bunch of dudes in, like, gimp suits dancing around. It is, like, extremely sexually charged. Half the dance moves are, like, him miming that he's, like, fucking the different dancers. Like, she's playing, like... I guess, like, Satan or, like, a succubus or something like that, right? Like, she's, like, sure. the evil, horny lady from the underworld. And he, he like, descends from the sky at the yes. start looking like... He's in, like, like a cage. <laughs> like, he's... Oh, my God. <laughs> he's it's... in, like, little Conan the Barbarian outfit. He's just dripping in oil. It's just... It is insane stuff. It's crazy. Like, I... I, I just... Uh, it's this whole it's this whole highly conceptual musical about a guy that gets lowered into hell and then escapes into heaven. I mean, I don't know what Broadway was like back in the 1980s, but you go to Broadway these days and you go to see fucking like Lion King or or Book of Mormon or sure. Spider-Man turn off the dark, you know. And I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm sure that uh there was there was a little bit of this happening and maybe there probably still is, but it's a very bold very interpretive musical he like strips down progressively more and more by the end of it he like stallone just does dress him up like rambo like he's got booty shorts and like a sweatband completely ripped uh he looks like that (laughs) he looks like that aquid panel where pat gets a six-pack and ray is just like oh dog that is so nasty i hate to see it like that is what Travolta looks like at the uh, end of this movie, and it's just unhinged. The bit where he's like in the cage, like rolling around. There's all this fog. There's hands coming up out of it, like it's fucking Silent Hill, and just the bondage outfits, right? Like, yeah. I think the whole time I was like, okay, this. So this is kind of like a sexy, you know, Dante's Inferno, like Phantom of the Opera, past the point of no return type situation. But no, in like the third act of, of this Satan's Alley musical, there are straight up just like men in like black leather, like Batman and Robin Bane bondage hoods with full ass whips. There's this whole sequence where shirtless, sweaty John Travolta gets whips wrapped around him and like strung he up. He gets it's, hung by his fucking throat. Like, like they're about to nuts. lynch this motherfucker on stage. It is unbelievable. Like, w- when they wrapped those fucking ropes around his neck, I was like, what the fuck? Like, it's just, it, it's, it takes you just. It shocks you because it's like, where did any of this come from for the last like hour, right? It's like- so out of left field. It's so bizarre. Oh God, I, I I really have to wonder if Stallone wrote that part of it, right? Because didn't he do porn before he was an actor? He like, did, yes. Yeah, he did. that's what makes me think this is like his big, you know, magnum opus of oh, you know, the satanic temptation of sexy lady succubus and men with whips and shirtless oiled hottie and, ugh, it's <laughs> it's just so weird, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's almost worth watching this movie just to get to the last 25 minutes. But the preceding hour feels about twice as long as it actually is. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I, the thing that happens here during the performance, right, is that he basically goes into business for himself, mm-hmm. and he just like there's there's like a move where he has to catch her and swing her, and he just throws her like off the stage. It's basically, so funny, and just completely goes into business for himself. Just does his own solo, and he's being raised up on the platform at the end, and he just calls for this woman to just jump, which like ordinarily in one of these movies you'd have the cornball shitty ending where he would call out to his true love right yeah that's what i thought was going to happen yeah but no instead he calls out to the to the lead dancer and and his girlfriend in the chorus is just like screaming at her jump jump (laughs) it's just like it it just it like it speaks to just like such a fucked up view of who I'm supposed to be rooting for in this, right? Because it's basically just like validate him, validate this total piece of shit that we've oh, been totally. dealing with for these two fucking movies. It's like, the oh. part where he spins her around is so funny. It's like, um, what is that move they do in the X-Men where the guy like spins Wolverine around and then launches him at people. That's, right, that's, yeah. that's basically what happens here. It'd be like if you were playing Hitman and you infiltrated the show and then you did an accident kill where you just threw her off the stage, like into the orchestra pit. Like it has, it has that exact same vibe to it. Travolta is a, you know, pardon the pun here. He is a, he is a demon in this movie. So much of this film is padded out with these extreme close-ups of him where he's like sweaty and looking like he's about to shit himself. There's <laughs> the close-ups this close-ups are so good though. They're like my favorite thing in the whole They're movie. probably the best part of this whole film. One of my favorite sequences in this is it comes like near the middle of the movie where he's been waffling back and forth on these two women the entire time. And he gets invited to this Christmas party by the lead dancer and so he puts on his fucking snf like white suit you love to see it you hate to see Mm -hmm. it he goes up to this christmas party he's wandering around and then he sees her from across the room talking to their choreographer and there's this sequence where it's like fucking kill bill it's like when uma thurman (laughs) sees someone and the kill bill sirens go off there's just this party music playing as he is like standing mouth nearly open eyes wide like just sweating staring at this woman you could cut the music out and put like wendy carlos shining soundtrack in this and it would work the exact same like he is bringing a level of intensity to these extremely unnecessary close-ups that I just, it's, it's bananas. It is like, he is not giving enough in this movie at any given time. Like, like, like you, his accent comes in and out for this whole film. Like for most of the beginning of this movie, he's not even doing the Tony Monero voice, but for some reason, for some unknowable reason, except to God himself, Travolta is giving an 11 out of 10 on these fucking close-ups. It is bizarre. There's, yeah, there's there's a close up where um, I think it's when he's in the bar standing next to Slice Stallone, um, watching Frank and his girlfriend sing, and it just keeps cutting to this like close up of him smiling, the most unnatural smile I've ever seen in my life. Like he is sizing up a piece of steak for dinner or something. Like it is demented, and it keeps cutting to him. Like he's doing nothing. He's not moving. He's not. Yeah, he like you're just 
getting her and Frank Stallone in there, like having their interplay, and he's just standing, just barreling at these two. And it's just like every time it happens in this movie, and it happens at the end of the of the of the dance sequence, right, where he is just covered in sweat and oil and he is just like soaked as he is lifting her over his head with one arm and he looks like he is about to explode like it is it's so funny it it is unbelievable cinematography unbelievable acting from him like it is just i don't know what what he is fucking doing but mm-hmm. I love it. I love to I love to see it because it's absolutely hilarious. I feel like we've really got a relish Travolta in this movie because this is the best he's going to look for the rest of his career. Like this is it. Yeah. Like it's so wild to say that because this is 1983, but this is the peak of young Travolta. I think we have two more movies that we're going through, and then we get Pulp Fiction where he is like Pulp Fiction Travolta. So like. I don't know. This, this, I think, staying alive is the nail in the coffin of early Travolta mania, right? Like, yeah. If Travolta mania had any stay, uh, this is this is sort of the terminal point, I believe. Yeah, I think this is pretty much it for a while for him, right? Like, I think the next movie of his we're doing is right around 1990 maybe 1989 very 1989 so yeah, yeah like we we got like a six seven year gap yeah here between... he was he was only in three movies between now and then uh from 1983 to the beginning of 1989 he only did two films and one was in 1983 one was in 85 and the next one was in 89 so a big uh like a, a four-year gap for travolta i wonder what he was doing during that time period yeah, so we're we're definitely now like in the dregs of uh, Travolta. I think like oh, totally. Yeah, like you know he he is not somebody who, as I'm sure we'll see, has a very long career <laughs> resurgence. Um, no, maybe about two three movies, and then we'll be back to even worse shit than this. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Th- it's kind of sad in a way because he's no longer going to be the young hunk right which is another thing this movie like there's a sequence in this movie where he's like going to all these different talent agencies with his headshot and he's like trying to get meetings and they all just like immediately like dismiss him right whereas yeah i don't buy that right like if you're 1983 john travolta you can probably at least get a meeting at a talent agency right like you know you're square rectangle jawed you've got your weird Mm -hmm. chin dimple you've got your hair still you're still john travolta in his 20s at that point yeah totally like Like, he is he is not a bad looking man at this point like he's handsome he he's got stuff going for him he's got charisma you know as as, as we say on this show uh, he's ripped as hell like he is yeah. like a fucking professional wrestler. you could you could put this dude in like a wrangler jeans ad no questions asked like if i was if i was working at an ad agency and i was casting someone for like a cologne ad or like a beer commercial or like you know jeans or just anything really and this iteration of john travolta walked into my office i'd be like hell yeah you know get 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 up here for this photo shoot yeah i have to think this is again like 
Stallone projecting a little bit, right? Because, Mm -hmm. like, Travolta during the sequence is like to everybody, oh, you know, the only thing I won't do is I won't do nudity. Oh, oh. Yeah. You can't get in in the door. He basically does by the end of this movie. He is, like, stripped down to his boxer shorts and getting whipped on stage by these men in bondage outfits. (laughs) Oh, God. It's such a yeah. it's such a weird experience. And you know, I, I think that him getting rejected obviously is just a plot convenience, right? But yeah, it is. But it's so it's like a lot of this film, it's so contrived. Uh speaking of contrived, there's the whole sequence where he goes back to his old house and he like apologizes to his mom for having attitude or whatever. Yeah. Just a real odd sequence that I think really kind of um strips away any sort of like emotional impact the original film may have had there's no mention of his brother who like tore the family apart in the first film you know mm-hmm. no just 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 absolutely disconnected from anything uh related to the first movie i i feel like almost i i hate to say this but this almost makes me appreciate parts of the first film more right because sure in retrospect i feel like having seen this I appreciate and understand a lot more of kind of the more dramatic elements of like the family drama and Travolta's, you know, conflict in that, but it still doesn't change my opinions that, you know, the, the sexual assault stuff is so grotesque that it really ruins the rest of the movie for me. But like, it's one of those scenarios where by seeing something bad, we learn to appreciate the good with this movie. And, um, I don't know. I, I I hate to say this, but I guess my bone to pick with this film is that I wish it had been worse, and not like worse, worse, but like funny worse. You know? Yeah, I think I, so. Yeah. I I like, really there's... wish it had been on the whole as overwrought and self indulgent and goofy as the opening sequence was, but it just kind of falls off after a point. Yeah, it's just there's just not enough there to sink your teeth into. Like the shots of him close-up are hilarious obviously there are some very funny sequences where he's just doing things and is in no way shape or form like a normal person but yeah like him as a character and the central love triangle and the plot taking an hour to start like it all drags on so much that anything that is funny is just Mm -hmm. like rendered like basically it's like finding it like water in the desert it's just like uh <laughs> because there's no, like it's just barren around it um yeah it, it's just there's just not enough here to make it a fun like shitty movie you know mm-hmm. um but one thing i do think is a lot of fun in this movie is what what i think we both at the same time uh termed the final fantasy 7 soundtrack oh totally um, yeah like it is unbelievable how much the soundtrack to this movie is just the final fantasy 7 yeah there specifically there's a music here that keeps coming up and it may be the frank stallone song but i'm not sure where it it has that like like you know that song of Final Fantasy VII where it's like no 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 and it has like the bass when you're in the uh, yeah. like the slums and all that it sounds exactly yeah. like that it does yeah my uh, you my... hear it a lot during the musical at the end as well especially like it it's, totally 
every time because it, it, it is I, I'm pretty sure it's the same like couple of bass notes where it's just like and you mm-hmm. just go oh it's I'm in Midgar oh no wait there's John Travolta oh that's a shame <laughs> they like, should have put him in Advent Children I mean you put you put this movie in Midgar right like it's the exact mm-hmm. same character Tony Monero he's just in the Final Fantasy 7 world I would he's trying pay, to make I, it like yeah. at the gold saucer yeah like, there's there a movie go. yeah there's, there's a fucking movie yeah i'm gonna pitch to square enix they need to do one of those anthologies like star wars did of the like <laughs> fan written stories and stuff like that and i yeah. need to write the um the tony monero midgar uh <laughs> we'll pitch some ideas around we'll make it a collaborative effort yeah but we will. We'll- i don't i don't know if it's the same song but there's also the music cue where it's like it just it's like someone rolling on like a synth and like the drums and the only lyrics are this yeah. guy going like fire dance <laughs> dance fire um, you, dance. you get a lot of him rehearsing to this song it's it's unbelievable stuff like it's <sighs> there's like four songs on this ins- entire soundtrack and they reuse them incessantly it's, totally yeah it's so like the Bee Gees are the people responsible again for the soundtrack like they were with the first one Mm -hmm. and you would never know it right like no absolutely not the the first one at least you could say like oh it's got all the disco hits i know yeah whereas this one has a frank stallone song and then it ends with staying alive we have got to talk about the ending of this movie oh Oh, my god and not the ending but like the ending ending like the ending ending yeah so this this movie concludes he does the show he jilts the uh you know the the english dancer lady and gets with the you know one that he loves oh it's all happy and she's like oh we should go out we should do something it's so cool and he's like i'm gonna go do something i'm gonna go strut and then we get like a i shit you not a shot for shot recreation of the beginning of snf where he's strolling down the street to staying alive i my reaction to this was saying fuck yes you said fuck off at about the same time so <laughs> yeah kind of kind of split down the middle on this one i think it's just the like audacity of, <laughs> of the movie totally to make, yeah it's like to assume that i would give enough of a shit about tony Monero and his arc <laughs> That I'm going to see this, like, ending and be like, oh my god, he did it! Like, it's, fuck off. It's, it's completely, like, even by the standards of these two movies, it's completely unearned. Like, just, just totally, totally swinging from the fences and missing on this one. But he he's walking through New York, and this is what I kind of want to get your read on. He's strolling around, BG's playing. He's walking through uh, Times Square, right? Like you got, we got mm-hmm. all the big, the big, uh, you know, fucking uh, blow up billboards and all that kind of shit. He's he's walking, strolling. He like strikes a pose, and the movie freeze frames. But then, as it rolls into credits, Tony Monero just fades out of the frame and ceases to exist. <laughs> I I am so baffled by this creative choice. I I I genuinely don't know what to make of it. Like why did they do that? 
why they do that Niall? just to like he's get ex- him out of the frame it, it, he's it, just uh, he's ex- he's experienced ego death he's uh, he's achieved everything he's ever wanted and so he's ascended to a higher plane and now he's never existed you know like it 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 may as well be like he didn't exist the whole time right honestly like they do it genuinely it's such a weird choice like i i I, i'm dying to know what stallone thought for his decision on this right like was it not to make travolta distracting during the credits was it just like to add a sort of like mysticism to it? Was it so we would focus on New York and be like, oh, this is a New York movie at the end of it, you know? I mean, I, I choose to believe that Tony Monero was like a wayward spirit, per, like a ghost perhaps, who has been cursed to relive his life over and over. And now that he's sort of broken the time loop and found success, he is able to move on to the next plane of existence, as you said. That's how I'm it, it, choosing to interpret this. Yeah, it ties into uh, into Satan's Alley as a as a performance, oh, right? Like he's okay. he's leaving purgatory. He's leaving. Can you the the hell um, which he has been stuck in for hundreds and thousands of years, and he's ascending to heaven now that his soul has finally been. Um, satisfied and satiated you know he's finally lived his dreams he's accomplished his goals and now he can rest in peace what if that was stallone's intention that that tony monero has been stuck in hell and now he ascends to heaven at the end of this like like new york is hell hell is other people hell (laughs) is tony monero being trapped in this bg's dimension i just just baffling creative choices all up and down this movie just non-stop it's yeah i mean you you likened the ending to jason takes manhattan which i think is kind of like apt in some ways right like (laughs) yeah like that scene in jason takes manhattan where uh the kids in times square have the boom box and jason like intimidates (laughs) them like like it's shot in the same way like kind of from a you know from a low angle like looking up at travolta as he strolls through times square i think what's even more sort of uh damning here is that times square is completely empty there's no one else Mm. here except for travolta once upon a time we posited a theory for the film borat that borat was actually in purgatory and died during the film i think maybe we need to consider that uh tony monero died during the performance of satan's alley and ascends to heaven at the conclusion of this movie i mean i could see it you know stallone travolta both you know italian americans both probably would have been raised catholic you know uh very very uh likely that they had some kind of you know religious background in that sense i could see stallone you know seeing this as a parable of sorts you know a lesson in catholicism mm-hmm. uh for for the mass of the secular audience you know i i think you know i think this is what this is what got travolta you know up to level eight and so in scientology you know yeah yeah i think i think this is him i think this is him ascending to heaven i think i i think he's he's dead i think we will never see Love tony that. monero again tragically Rest in fucking pieces piece of shit what if i i uh, i desperately like i hate saying this but i i do feel like i've developed sort of an ironic affinity for tony monero 
I would love <laughs> I would love for Travolta to shit out one more SNF movie with Tony Manero. Uh-huh. I would love for him to come back in the next couple years and make another like BG's reference Tony Manero washed up Broadway star can't put his life back together you know maybe he's gone through some personal tragedies and he's out of the game but Tony Manero's got to come back for one last dance and Travolta's going to do it he's going to he's going to come back around i think there's i, I think there's potential I don't know if I want to see 70-year-old Travolta trying to dance. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to see another production uh, of Travolta as this character with the kind of uh, production companies <laughs> and <laughs> budgets he's been working with. Well, maybe he's like uh, a, maybe he's taken sort of like a you know, like a like an Obi-Wan Kenobi mentor role, right? Where there's ah, sort of a yes. new generation of Tony Moneros that Tony Monero has to... Uh, <laughs> I say that like he's been cloned. His, his <laughs> army of Tony Monero clones. But um, no, he, he, has to, he has to instruct these new TikTok dance teens and how they did it back in his day. And, oh, God. Um, you know, that kind of, yeah. that kind of situation writes itself it's a story about a tiktoker who has to learn that the traditional old ways mm-hmm. of dance are still valid and can get you lots of likes on the internet yeah totally. and lots of clout and lots of sponsorship offers from like mattress companies or whatever yeah um, i can already yeah. i can already imagine the trailer it's one of those things where they build it up like you don't know what's up you know you know that there's this teen and they oh they're dancing is their passion they're on tiktok but oh they just can't get their game up to the next level and it builds up all this tension about how they're going to do it and then at the end he's like okay i'm bringing in someone special for one last job and then you see travolta like (laughs) step out of a darkened (laughs) corner like 70 years old like in the white suit Uh... with the shoes and you hear the opening notes of staying alive it cuts to the title saturday night fever rebirth and then april Ugh. april 2025 coming to a theater near you <laughs> April 2025 yeah it's coming so soon it's like a 75 year old for voltage <laughs> yes totally <laughs> sorry i hate to, i hate to laugh at my own joke but the idea of like a dramatic trailer that ends with travolta stepping out of the shadows in his fucking snf outfit is just really really tickling me i i've got to write that script we got to get that going get an agent get that to get that to johnny t see what they can do with it we have talked about this movie for much longer than i think it deserves what else do we have to cover here with staying alive i'm pretty much out uh as far as uh, like things to talk about specifically about this movie yeah Um, totally yeah so i guess then we got we got the usual questions right um out of uh let's say five leotards whatever uh what what are you giving staying alive i i genuinely don't know like i i want to say one one and a half right because i did laugh quite a bit at this movie but the parts where I wasn't laughing were just so bad to sit through, right? Like, I... 
I think I gave SNF a one, right? I think that was my mm-hmm. my test. And staying alive is not better, but I had more fun talking about it at least. I, I'm just gonna give this a one. I'll be safe and I'll give this a one star. How how are you feeling on this one? I I reviewed it like immediately after we watched it on Letterboxd. I wrote a one sentence review and I gave it a half a star. Oh, okay. I I don't think I don't it's know. that bad, but it's pretty bad. Maybe maybe I could be generous and bump it up to one. Well, don't don't don't, just, don't let me convince you. But I, no, I know. But but I'm as I'm talking about it, like yeah, it didn't make me angry like Saturday Night Fever did, right? Like, and I yeah. did laugh a few times. But, but I think, but the parts like, that I was were just bad so were just intolerable. Bored. Yeah, totally, totally. Like I, it feels so fucking long. Like <laughs> I, I, I think I think I was more bored by it than you were. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely, but yeah, and I, I, I mean, I had also seen this um, before, sure, a long while ago at this point. But uh, I think that probably made it worse for me having already sat through it and not remembering it but like Mm -hmm. knowing i've seen it before and so it's not technically new or whatever maybe that drug brought it down sure a little in my eyes but i i yeah i i did not have a great time with it no no better or worse than um, borat Ooh. That's tough. That's a genuine right? tough one, I think. It's a hard one. I I, I think I got... Mm, <laughs> ooh, zooey mama. Uh, I think I'd rather watch Borat. I'd again. rather watch Borat. Yeah, this was worse than Borat. As much as I laughed at this, I would watch Borat if presented with the option. Yeah, like I think as funny as some of the close-ups of him are, I I I just think about Borat now and I'm just like, man, I could go for a line read of she's sucking some dick or whatever, right? God. Like just I Yeah. Like, you know, like there's I I just don't think the funny moments of this are as good as the couple of funny moments in Borat. No, oh, I, I don't think so. That. I think Borat's a better movie. There's no uh, shame in that. Congratulations, SBC. I yeah. guess you gotta win. Sometimes. I am. I gotta. Uh, I gotta say, I am shocked at how many of these movies we've watched so far that we have decided were worse than Borat. Like this. Yeah. SNF, Valley Girl. What else? Um. There. There was at least one other one, right? That we that oh, we didn't God. like. Um. Maybe not. Uh, Urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy would have been it. Yeah. Yeah. Urban definitely. Cowboy. Yeah. That's depressing. Yeah, God. I mean, mm-hmm. I maybe we owe Sasha Baron Cohen an apology because apparently John Travolta's worse. Um, <laughs> ay, 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 ay. Oh, do we want to oh. do we want to do a quick heat check on the uh, wigometer for this one? Sure. I I would say I'm I'm feeling like a four or five on this. Like it's still. Mm-hmm. It's it's just eighties hair Travolta, right? Like it's not at that point yet where we're just at like full like bizarre wigs or weird haircuts for him like i feel like he's not scoring high on the wigometer thus far but i feel like 
It's gonna flip. I feel like when, it, it's gonna yeah, flip. Once, once we get through like Pulp Fiction and mm-hmm. we're on the other side of that, it's gonna flip hard. I feel yeah. like right. Like it, it's almost inverted where Cage has crazier hair before Face Off, but then Travolta has crazier hair afterwards. Yeah, kind but, of, kind of. But uh, Stephen A. Smith. But I think that we are missing a lot of just schlock dtv cage movies on this podcast just because we there's are so we many are. of them there it, it is impossible to watch all of them so I, I i genuinely feel like every time i open up like prime video there's like three new ones oh totally <laughs> like, yeah absolutely just materialized from somewhere between like 2014 and 2018 just like <laughs> yeah. okay he's in a sailor suit in this one i guess he's uh, sure whatever like you know Oh my god! I found one the other day. It was him and Willem Dafoe. I'm very frightened to watch it, but mm-hmm. God, I don't want to see Willem Dafoe brought down to the level of a Cage DTV movie <laughs> from the late tens. It's depressing. Uh, yeah, very it sad. is. It really is. Speaking of Nicolas Cage, what are we watching next week? Next week we're watching a movie that I don't really know much about, but which you have assured me I'm going to hate. Um, mm-hmm. A film called Deadfall from 1993 starring Nicolas Cage, and I believe directed by his brother, Christopher mm-hmm. Coppola, right? Diehard yeah. Nick fans are going to know this one. My, my real Nick heads out there are going to be into Deadfall, let me tell you. Uh, if you have not seen Deadfall, if you do not know anything about it, I will say this. It is a supporting role by Cage. He is not a main character in the film, but his performance in Deadfall may chart as the number one most unhinged thing he has ever put to the screen. Like, okay, genuinely, completely unrepentant, unfiltered, unchecked off the rails Nicolas Cage in this movie and it is a treat so keep an eye out for that I I did not love it when I watched it the first time but I think enough time has passed that I'm going to appreciate it a lot more so we'll see we'll see how this one shakes out could go either way that's fair um I'm kind of already looking past it to the week after to the next Travolta thing because it is one of the movies i think is going to cause us the most damage uh, to watch because yeah yeah, it's it's gonna be something but we'll we'll talk more about that next week yeah um so yeah ryan i guess before we wrap up you do other stuff uh where can people find you yeah if you want to find me other places on the internet you can find my emoji podcast emoji germ wherever podcasts are sold except that it's not sold because we don't pay for it we don't pay for it. Mm. We, we, I mean, we, no, there's no payment involved. It's a podcast. Uh, that's me and Sylvie from Friends at the Table talking about emoji. You can find my personal Twitter at Cursecoat, and you can find my letterbox at Sewer Peak. That's P E A K. How about you, Niall? You can find me also on Letterboxd at Emo Christ. Uh, we have a show Twitter at Borat Club. Uh, you can email us at BoratClubcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a like, a rating, a review, wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell a friend. We do not advertise anywhere, and really the only way uh, the show spreads is via word of mouth, so we very much appreciate it. 
Um, and yeah, thank you as always for listening. Thank you, Ryan, as always for being here with me. Uh, this was uh, fun. Yeah. Maybe, question mark. Bad, um, bad movie. Good episode. I'd say. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, yeah. Uh, next week we'll be back, as we said, with Deadfall, starring Nick Cage in a supporting role. Um, but until then, yeah, take care of yourself, and we will see you next week. See you next week.